0: Hello, and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris. We should think about doing Listen Closely with Chris and John, but we'll get to that. Uh, I am Chris on the West Coast. Uh, John, are you with me out on the East Coast?
1: I am here, and listen, I mean, we we could go that route, but keep in mind, I started the podcast, the pilot episode was just me.
0: You did. I was just a mere guest. That's true.
1: Yeah, you weren't in the trenches. (laughs)
0: i wasn't i wasn't how how are you doing my friend i'm well how are you Uh, i'm doing well i'm doing well it's a beautiful day out here in washington state um hey yeah uh you guys are are past your crazy storm that you had i i understand
1: yes we had a hurricane touchdown here in connecticut uh, a few days ago um but it wasn't quite as exciting as i had hoped for you know when you you want a hurricane. You want a hurricane. Uh, this was just kind of all the nuisance stuff. You know, the power outage, the limbs, the tree limbs down and whatnot. But there wasn't like the widespread mayhem that you like from, from well, good old days.
0: You know, I have some very close family friends who live just uh, just down the road from you. and This uh, is true. They actually had a tree fall on the house. Um, and it is unlivable at the moment so you just missed out on the drama
1: they need a place to crash i'm right around the corner
0: (laughs) (laughs) well um on to business here we've got got our final show of the first season
1: this is it baby this is it baby make no mistake yeah incidentally (laughs) let me get off off course a little bit here do you know what this is it baby is a reference to no well Since I'm sure you're dying to know, it's a reference to the uh, PSA Flight 182 disaster of 1979. Uh, That is the Pacific Southwest Airlines uh, passenger jet carrying about 150 people collided with a Cessna with uh, two people over somewhere just outside of San Diego in 1979. Killed everyone on the Cessna, obviously, everyone on the commercial jet. Uh, And about six people or so on the ground. There were limbs everywhere, body parts. And uh, anyway, famous last words. The pilot, as the plane was going down, radioed to air traffic control. He said, I love you, Mom. And then the last thing you heard him say was, this is it, baby. And then, bam. Oh, wow. Well, that's
0: a very somber way to kick this off. Um, Well, on that note. (laughs) I thought you were going to go the route of This Is It being Kenny Loggins, um, which brings you to a little segue here. Um, listeners can follow us now on Twitter at, at Podcast Closely. And, um, you know, we're slowly building a following, and we had a new follower today, Mr. Kenny Loggins. Or wow. so it seems. He, he, it's a guy who his bio and everything... And his background and his pictures and everything on Twitter are exactly the same as Kenny Loggins. But I don't think it's actually Kenny Loggins. I think it might be a fake Maybe
1: it could be Dave Loggins, his cousin, who had a big hit with Please Come to Boston in the
0: 70s. And a great song. Maybe it's Dave Loggins trolling his brother. I don't know.
1: <laughs> cousin. cousin. Uh, um, a with-
0: uh, at, at podcast closely. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Let us know any albums that you think might be great for us to do on the show. Uh, Let us know your
1: favorite Kenny Loggins song,
0: please. Yeah, anything related to Kenny Loggins. Jeez. Um, but this week <sighs> Josh, we have a great one. This week, I know this is a special one for you. Do you want to? Tell listeners, what we've got this week.
1: Well, if you insist. Uh, we are saving the best for last, so to speak, and by best, I mean the best band. Um, this week's episode for the finale, we're going back to May of 1980. The album is Flesh and Blood. The band is Roxy Music. Um, And listen, Chris, you know how I feel about Roxy Music, right?
0: I do. I mean, John, you turned me on to Roxy Music long ago. And, um, you know, they're a band, not a lot of people know them in the United States. I mean, I feel like when I mention Roxy Music, maybe 10% of the time people know who I'm talking about. Um, very big in the UK, um, and parts of Europe, I believe, but highly influential. I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know, I think anybody who came out, um, in the 1980s and the, the sort of new wave pop movement, um, was influenced by them or by someone who was strongly influenced by them. I know they're your favorite. Um, they are. I I'm a big fan. My... What's interesting about this one, it was your idea to, to do this particular album from them. Um, I think it's a great album, but there were a number of critics who really torched this. I'm wondering what, you know, what made you go with this one, say over, uh, say, Avalon?
1: All right, there's a few things here. There's a few things. I mean, First, let me express my, my love of this band and my love of their dapper, fashionable, lead singer and creative force, Mr. Brian Ferry. Yes. Um, you know, this band to me is everything. And they, more than any other band, provided the soundtrack of my life. They really have. Despite the fact that they released their last studio album when we were five. <laughs> right. uh, it, it didn't make a difference. You know, when I discovered Roxy Music, and I was probably 15 or 16 when I truly really discovered them, maybe a little older, even 17. I was sort of lost in a wilderness of grunge music and that neo-hippie jam band stuff like Dave Matthews, Fish, Blues Traveler. So in short, Chris, as we've always said before, we came of age with the most unsexy rock music ever. Uh, so I immediately gravitated to Roxy music. It was sexy. There was a hint of danger. Uh, if James Bond had a band, it would have been Roxy Music, you know? These guys looked cool. They yeah. sounded like nobody else. And the best thing was, like you said, nobody knew them. So they were kind of this best-kept secret. Um, totally. A and two- t- Playful as well, you know? they.
0: I feel like they don't... As cool as they are, there's a part of them that, that doesn't take themselves seriously.
1: Exactly, exactly. There's some tongue-in-cheek elements to their, uh, to their stuff. Um, in 2005, in an article for The Guardian, journalist Tom DeLisle boldly proclaimed that Roxy Music are the second most influential British band after the Beatles. Wow. Uh, bold statement. Think about that. That's putting them ahead. Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, The Rolling Stones and a whole slew of others. Super Tramp. Um, (laughs) Getting back to why Flesh and Blood, and I'm going to flesh this out in a few moments. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a misunderstood album. And Roxy Music had eight studio albums in total that they put out between 1972 and 1982. Mm -hmm. Almost every single one of them was was praised uh unanimously by, by critics except for one flesh and blood and we're going to get to the critical response in a moment and flesh and blood is sort of the red-headed stepchild of the uh of the roxy music catalog and i just think that's not fair because i do think it's a great great album and i think it deserves a closer listen and i think it gets overlooked an Eclipse by Avalon, which would come not quite two years later, and then everything else, which came however many years before. So in my opinion, Chris, we've talked about this on the show, every great artist or group has a low point in their career, right? You know, Bowie in the mid to late 80s, anything U2 has done in the last, what, 15 years, uh, anything R.E.M. did from the mid-90s on. Mm -hmm. If Flesh and Blood is Roxy Music's low point, they're Nadir, then my God, they're batting a thousand as far as I'm concerned. So I think with this episode, we're really going to talk about uh, why it's a damn good album. And I'm hoping you're going to agree with me that it's a a damn good album. So before I launch into how the critics tore this album apart, I'd like to hear your thoughts.
0: Um, Yeah, I I think it's a really good album. Um, You know, is it Flawed? totally um yes we'll we'll definitely get into that um but you've got uh, some tremendous songs on here i mean you know the two three four combination it's like the the middle of a a lineup on a great baseball team i mean oh yeah is this gorgeous oh yeah song uh same old scene you know that may be their best, their best song overall ever.
1: I agree. I uh, agree.
0: And "Flesh and Blood" I think is is an incredible song. I think it's highly underrated. And then there's some there's some decent deep cuts on here. Um, you know, some of them are not, but you know, all in all, I think it's a it's a really strong album.
1: The first, the first side is flawless as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it bumps into some. I don't know, shall we say, uh, stormy waters in the, on the second side? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first side is, is absolutely perfect. Um, as I was listening to it actually on LP a few hours ago, and that's one of the things that, that really struck me. But let's talk about some of what the critics had to say, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Upon its release, Rolling Stone magazine called Flesh and Blood a shockingly bad Roxy Music record. Hmm. Um, In a contemporary review, allmusic.com stated that even the handful of undeniably strong moments can't erase the feeling that Roxy Music were beginning to run out of ideas. And these are just two of the bad reviews. There are several others, but in the interest of time... I didn't really want to get into them, um, but when, we, when you and I, Chris, first talked about doing an episode devoted to Roxy Music and Flesh and Blood, I think what really moved the needle, so to speak, was the praise heaped upon it from rock critic Grail Marcus, and I think he really got the album when it was released, and I think he wrote the most spot on critique, and this is, I think, the reason, I'm sure you would agree, why we're closing out season one with this album and it is the most beautiful praise and i think he sums up the album perfectly he said this record all graceful lust and wistful regret is pure romance it's also the best summer music anyone's made since oil spills began undermining the concept flesh and blood floats it drifts it fades away it soars back It captures the easy, endless promises of summer, and it captures the summer you've never gotten over. It works as soothing, mindless background music, and it can break your heart. Like a perfect July day, it makes no demands on a listener, yet it can give a listener everything. Yeah, nailed it. Right? Yeah, no, exactly. It's, It's a great summer album. It, it really is, and I, it, it, it's funny because I never really looked at it as a summer album, but here we are. It's the middle of August. It's been a weird summer, and I've been listening to this album a lot over the last couple of weeks. And I think Grail Marcus was spot on. You know the interesting thing is that despite critics largely shitting on the album, and despite many diehard Roxy fans refusing to listen to it, the album was a huge commercial success by Roxy Music standards. I mean, keep in mind that this was not a band that sold a shit ton of albums. Mm-hmm. Um, but it peaked at number one in the U.K. charts. It spent a total of 60 weeks on those charts. It even cracked the U.S. Billboard Top 100, peaking at number 35. Now, that's not bad for Roxy and music in the U.S. Yeah. And it also spawned two top 10 U.K. singles, two damn good ones, Over You and Oh Yeah. Yeah.
0: Those, I mean, those two, I think, in particular, are such tremendous summer songs. You know, kind of click yeah. over, uh, driving, you know, as the sun's going down with the top down. And uh, it's just, they're perfect, perfect pop songs.
1: They really are. That piano exit and overview is just absolutely Breathtaking, and that you're right. You, you know, that's with with the windows down, the sun going down, and you know, you've got a woman or several women on your mind, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that song's playing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, by the way, Grail Marcus, it's a hell of a name.
1: It, it is. Uh, I I don't even know who the hell he is, to be
0: honest with. You. Is it G R E I L? I mean, that's fantastic. G- I've never heard that. It's
1: Grail Marcus. Uh, apparently, he's a, he's a well known rock critic. Grail Marcus, if you happen to be listening, I apologize for not being more um, familiar with your work, but I really like what you said about flesh and blood. Yeah, no, he nailed it. He nailed it. Um, you know,
0: I, I think, unless, do you have anything else you want to add, or should we get into the picks here? No,
1: I'm curious to know what else you might want to add before we get into the picks.
0: Well, I just think, you know, I think there are parts of this album, I would say it's not as consistently good as some of their other albums. Um, There's moments on it when you want to skip. Um, And I feel, you know, it's a little bit maybe less complex. You know, some of these... As is, I think, sort of the case, sometimes the songs, the albums that have more commercial success uh, might not have quite as much staying power, you know. um, Sure. And I think maybe there's a little bit of that on here. But generally, I mean, I think there's a good half dozen songs on here that have really held up well throughout time. Um,
1: Incredibly well, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, kind of timeless. Um, so I, I don't quite get, uh, you know, the torching that a lot of people gave this uh, this album. I mean, hey, people want to say it's not their favorite Roxy music album. I, they have so many great albums. I think that's, you know, as you said at the beginning, that's shouldn't be a terrible slight against it. But, uh, you know, like that Rolling Stone review was just so, uh, so anti this album. I, I don't get it. Um,
1: Do I? And, you know, I, I will say, I think there are worse Roxy music albums than Flesh and Blood. I think Manifesto, which came before Flesh and Blood one year before, is, is far inferior to Flesh and Blood. But that's just one man's opinion. Right, right. All right. Well,
0: um, even though we're both, you know, we're both quite high on this album, as always, I thought you were going to say we're both quite high. <laughs> no, we're both quite. That would be a lot easier for me than you. I, I have a dispensary right down the street here. Um,
1: you hippies out there in the Pacific Northwest, I forgot.
0: No, right. Um, even though we both like this album a lot, you know, there's always there's always some low points. And uh, oh yes, what is you? I I pretty sure I know where you're going to go, but yeah. Anyway, what's your nadir for this album?
1: Okay. Chris, this was so easy for me. Uh, and my Nadir is two-part, because I, I felt like I had to try to take it one step further, because I suspect your Nadir could be the same. Um, eight Miles High. Why the fuck did they decide to do a cover song by Birds on this album?
0: Yes. Terrible song.
1: Terrible song, terrible production, terrible choice. It makes no sense, and it nearly derails the entire album. Now, there's another cover on the album. The album opens up with uh, The Midnight Hour, which I think is great. It's fun. It's it's well done. But man, Eight Miles High sounds like the band was on like some crazy-ass bender and just decided to record it one night. Just They needed an extra song. Um,
0: I would be stunned if they weren't gacked out of their brains when they did that one. I mean, it just has yeah. a... Such a feeling of like
1: paranoid insanity to it. Well, the song's called Eight Miles High. Well, they're right? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Chris, here's the real unfortunate aspect. Um they had an amazing B-side, which would have perfectly fit the album. Hmm. Um, and it was the B-side, I believe, the same old scene. The song is called Lover. Um It's an incredible, incredible song. And why the hell they didn't pick Lover and maybe have Eight Miles High as a B-side, we may never know. And a lot of people out there don't know this song called Lover, but it's really damn good. Interesting aside, um, it saw the light of day in 1985, Lover did. Uh, it was on the volume two of the Miami Vice soundtrack, although it never appears in an actual Miami Vice episode. Oh, wow. Makes no sense. Okay, um, but the song's got like a real Miami Vice vibe to it, even though it was you know a few years before the show would come out. And by that, I don't mean it's like the the dark, violent Miami Vice thing. It's you know when they would do like more romantic, uh, sexy episodes, like when. Remember when Crockett married Sheena Easton in season three? Like, that's when it would have fit perfectly. But you, you, you listen to it, and you can almost hear the promo in your mind, like tonight on a very special Miami Vice episode. an old <laughs> flame comes back into Crockett's life, but not as all what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> Tubbs has a case of vicious diarrhea after late-night Mofungo in Collins Avenue. Like... <laughs> It, you, you listen to the opening chords of Lover, and you, just, you hear that guy's voice. Yeah. It's a great song. I would say it's better than probably half the songs on the album. We may never know why they didn't put it on the album. So Mine, of Deer is twofold. Eight Miles High, awful, awful. Should have been Lover, which is a great, great song. Wow, That's all I have to say. Okay, How about you?
0: Yeah, I you know I'm not familiar with Lover. Uh, I'm gonna have to check that out, and I'll I'll put it up on the Twitter page too. Um, Please do a link to it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it just it just jumps off the album Eight Miles High. That that's my Nadir too. It's it's, it's terrible. It, it's really bad. I mean, I had the first time I was playing this album this week. It was the first time I'd listened to it in a long time, and so I'd kind of you know forgotten some of the deeper cuts. And um, I was in the middle of, of something. And so I just kind of had it on in the background and that came on and I, I was just found myself getting, without even realizing why, just slowly getting more like irritated at what I was doing. And finally I was just like, what is this song? Oh my God. It just, <laughs> it, it's grating. I had to, I had to skip it. It's really bad.
1: Um, it's yeah. absolutely, absolutely terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad you agreed with me. I, I really am. I'm glad I, we're on the same page that this song sucks.
0: <laughs> now I haven't heard the one uh The Birds did no, who did it originally? The Birds. Yeah,
1: the Birds. It's uh it was written by um David Crosby and Roger McGuinn of The Birds and it was uh, you know, a fairly a modest hit for the birds. But like when you think of rock's music, you can't figure out why the hell they're covering a bird song. It just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, you know, and they've had they do covers very well a lot of the time. I mean, what the Jealous Guy. Jealous Guy, I mean, is one of the great covers of all time, I think.
1: It is, absolutely.
0: It's kind of shocking what happened with this one. Um, and I don't, you know, <laughs> I think it just. Part of the reason it stands out, too, is that they're such a great band. You know, it's just go oh. so beneath them, this song. I don't know what happened. Um, we may never know. We may, we may never know. Um, that being said, a lot of other. A lot of other uh, great stuff in addition to the sort of headline facts sure. on this.
1: What's your sleeper yes. moment? So I'm going to say, Chris, this was undoubtedly the most difficult sleeper moment of all of season one. Wow. I was torn between three different songs, um, and I was wrestling with it right up until we recorded this episode. I'm not kidding. Um, it, this was difficult, but ultimately – I went with the title track, Flesh and Blood. Um, you know, look, on the surface, the song is really nothing that special. Lyrics are dumb. They really are. Um, my friend is flesh and blood. She lies over time. You'd nail her if you could. <laughs> but she says, love me from my mind. Like, it's kind of foolish. It's got a very sparse arrangement. And Ferry plays guitar on the song, which makes no sense. When you've got Phil Manzanera, one of the best guitarists of that era, why Ferry is doing guitar on this, I don't know. But the song holds up quite well. And if you watch clips on YouTube of the Flesh and Blood tour, mm-hmm. which is widely considered to be one of the best Roxy music tours, um, there's a concert from uh, Dortmund, Germany in December of 1980 on the Flesh and Blood Tour. When they do this song, despite Ferry being so coked out of his mind that he's off-key, he sings the song in an entirely wrong key, um, it's a showstopper. Like, it, it, Manzanera does this blistering guitar solo at the end. Um, I don't know. I, over the years, this song has really, really grown on me. I think that's the true definition of a sleeper.
0: I love "Flesh and Blood." I I think that that guitar riff riff is uh, it's fantastic. It's you know it's simple, um, but like <laughs> a lot of great guitar riffs, it's it's simple, but it just man the dun, 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 it's. I love yeah. it, and, and you're right. It's I mean the lyrics are it's almost one of those so bad they're they're good. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know they're. And I don't think they intended this to be any sort of, you know, lyrical masterpiece. I think they're kind of having fun and it's tongue-in-cheek. I, I love it. I could listen to that song all day. Um, great I song. I think it's a great pick. Yeah, I was I was surprised that, I don't think that was released as a single on this album. No, it
1: was not. It, hence it being the true definition of Sleeper, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. Um, but now, I want to know what you went with. Because I'm wondering if your choice was one of my other two?
0: Yeah, so I also had three. One of them was not Flesh and Blood, just because uh, I feel like for me that wasn't, didn't like qualify as a sleeper for me um, because it was one of the songs, I think, when I first heard this album that I really liked. Um, but I did have three others that it came down to. And in the end, I went with the final track, Running Wild."
1: Can you hear me? Can you hear me clapping? I, I sure can. You like that one. I, I, was, I was afraid I was gonna lose sleep over this if you didn't pick Running Wild, because I think this is such a special, special song. So please tell me why you chose Running Wild.
0: Beautiful song, sort of beautiful ballad. Um, it, it's a perfect song to close the album with, I think. Absolutely. Um, to me, it goes from being a good song to being really good song. For two two things happen towards the end. One is the Andy McKay saxophone solo. I think it's Andy McKay.
1: It is, yeah, and it's a beautiful sax solo.
0: It's beautiful. It's not, you know, I don't know. I'm not a musician that I don't, I don't. It doesn't seem like a super complicated, um, you know, solo that he's playing, but it's just so beautiful and perfectly timed. And the other thing is the sort of haunting overdubs that Fairy throws in at the end. Yes, yes. Um, you know, it's classic Roxy. It's very, you know, melodramatic. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, the synth is creating this sort of dreamy, dreamy, dreamlike state. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what I love about Roxy music. It's, it's gorgeous, you know, it's... Um, I just love it. Uh, you know, love gone love
1: gone gone wrong. It's it's what Grail Mark is talking about. That summer you can never get over, that summer fling you can never get over. It was and that's, you know, I I think that's running wild right there, you know. And you mentioned Chris, Andy, McKay, Sachs. I want to mention two other things on this song. And again, I'm I'm beyond thrilled that that you chose this. The part of me really wanted to, but um, Manzanero's guitar solo at the end. Is, is really fantastic. And shout out to the legendary Paul Carrick, who plays piano yeah, on Running Wild.
0: Yes. Yeah, he's on a couple songs on, on, on this uh,
1: album, right? Yes. And he played on Avalon as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. And that, you know, if you even just take the first verse, I mean, it it's, has this simple beauty to it. There's that melody burning through my head. It does me in. Turns me around, in. old friend. Wonder how you've changed. Are you still running wild like you do? Um, it's it's great. It's evocative. It's beautiful. I love it.
1: And just that that closing line. I can always pretend that I'll fall in love again. Yeah. It's classic classic Brian Ferry, and like you said, it's classic Roxy music. It's that. You know, with Roxy Music, you always get that—that that, the two ends of, the, of the, the spectrum there. You get the all-out wild partying celebration vibe, and then you get the songs that are about sort of paying the price for the decadent lifestyle, and that's what Running Wild is, and that's what some of the best Roxy Music songs are about. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I suppose that's why their stuff has resonated with me for the better part of 30 years. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, definitely. I'm curious, you said there were three that you were picking from. What was, what was the other one?
1: Well, so, Flesh and Blood, Running Wild, and the other one I was going to go with was Rain, Rain, Rain. Mm. Um, but then I'm like, come on. That's again, they sort of go off of the track a little bit on, on side two, and I'm thinking like, guys, why, why did you put a reggae song on, on this album? <laughs> But it's very catchy. It's a. It's actually a pretty good reggae song.
0: Yeah, that was one of my three, actually. I. I All right. I like good track. Yeah, I think it's a good track. I like that, and I like No Strange Delight, too. I
1: think that's a really good one. That's, that's awesome. the amazing thing, because No Strange Delight, which comes, I think, right after Rain, 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 if I'm not yeah. mistaken, or right before, it's just like your quintessential 80s new wave. So they shift gears drastically from reggae to 80s new wave.
0: Yeah, I... I, there were a lot of people sort of experimenting with reggae. Like remember we did, we had a sort of an argument uh, when we did the Boz Skaggs album I picked as a sleeper. I can't remember the name of it, but it, that song that has a reggae vibe to it off Silk Degrees. Um, I think. Log- yeah.
1: Love Me Love Me Tonight or Love Me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Love Me. Yeah. One of those. Um, Loggins even
1: dabbled in some reggae type stuff. Yeah. Um, Look, there's nothing wrong with reggae. I mean, Serge Gansberg had a couple reggae albums in the '70s. Uh, you know, no, it... I'm
0: just, I'm just saying. I think there was this period in like the early '80s where, uh, for whatever reason, like a lot of pop
1: musicians were kind of being like,
0: "Oh, let me try to work this reggae thing on my album, man. That'll be cool. All the kids will like it." You know?
1: Well, I think during that period they were also doing a lot of drugs, so that probably had something to do with it.
0: There you go. There you go. There you go. Now, uh, so that brings us to The Zenith, which I'd be shocked if uh, you go anywhere but one place on this, but you tell right. me, what's, what's the high point of this album?
1: You know it. you said it early on, this one was a no-brainer, same old scene. Mm. Um, not only is this the best song in the album, it's one of the best rock to music songs, and I'm going to go out on the limb and say it's one of the most important and influential songs of the 1980s. In that brief three or four minutes, I forget the running time of the song, you hear Duran Duran, you hear Spandau Ballet, you hear Blondie, orchestral maneuvers in the dark, and a whole slew of others. You know, it's been said by many, Chris, that Rock to Music and Bowie sort of invented the alternative new wave sound of the 1980s with much of what they did in the 70s. I think with the same old scene, Rock to Music makes a compelling argument for them inventing that sound but they also take it one step further and they perfect the sound. Um, the, the synth is incredible. Andy McKay's sax solo. Uh, the bass line by uh, the late Alan Spenner is one of my favorite bass lines of any track in all of music.
0: 100% agree. 100% agree. It's a great song. It's probably their best. Um...
1: Come on, lay it on me. Lay it on me. Is it your zenith?
0: it's my zenith, baby
1: yeah
0: uh, all right yeah it has that great sense of paranoia to it that's, God, that's yeah. that comes through all the roxy a lot of roxy stuff um and it's so typical of like the late 70s early 80s um, it, it
1: is and do you feel like you get this vibe where like you you hit the hammer on the nail with the paranoia like the the guy screwed something up royally with, with a girl and he's been up all night obsessing over it in the throes of panic attacks. And like the next morning, this is what's going on in his head. It's that, that driving synth, the baseline, the, the saxophone just all coming at you at once. That's kind of the vibe that it gives off. I think. Wow. Yeah, that's, a pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, oh, and we've all been there.
0: well yeah it's a little bit like you know this sort of a drug infused like groundhog day you know where you're just (laughs) going through the same thing and you never get out of this like I I picture like whenever I picture Brian Ferry and Roxy Music it's always sort of in slow motion with a smoke machine um you know because that's like how so many of their videos have those slow motion cutaways um Yeah, and it's just so, just so dramatic. Um, and in fact, the video for this song, is this the one, uh, this is a pretty insane video, right? I mean, with a lot of those slow motion and like the cutaway, the freeze frame. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah it, it, it's all the slow-mo cutaways with the smoke machine and like close-ups of Ferry just making the weirdest faces imaginable. Yeah
0: yeah it is I mean it's just got I mean, let's be honest it's got cocaine written all over it like it's
1: yeah you can pretty much see it like like a coke booger hanging out of his nose I think it's that intense it's oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know
0: and, and I think it just completely encapsulates like the world that Roxy creates you know this kind of prowling the club scene at nights, looking for women you know <laughs> drunk and high and like you said you know doing things you regret and then the next night it's like back into the same morass
1: you know it's um yeah it's the same old scene scene. you never learn from your your goddamn mistakes but that's what that's what rock is about you're absolutely right yeah yeah i mean you know
0: since we since we have the same zenith i would the other song that i briefly considered in the running um, for this i just want to maybe we can touch on it just real quick and that's oh yeah Um, oh yeah (laughs) you know this is you mentioned that there's sort of two two ways that roxy songs go one is the uh, the intense paranoid uh, drug-fueled music and the other is sort of the beautiful ballad that's like the the other end of that where you're regretting what you've done um, exactly that's oh yeah. I mean, I just think it's such a gorgeous song. Um, you know, it's this this song about a guy. It starts out there; he's driving to the to the movie show, which is great that he calls it a movie show.
1: Nobody calls it that anymore. Yeah. It's because nobody goes to the movies anymore.
0: No, and he's right. Yeah, you know, and he's listening to this song with this girl he's with, and then you know you flash forward to the end of the song, and he's he's in his car driving alone to the movie show, and he's same song comes on and it's drowning the sound of his tears. It's just so sad and
1: beautiful. Sad but beautiful.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. It's such an infectious tune too.
1: And I, I too would, would give the honorable mention to, to, Oh yeah. But I think same old scene breaks so much new ground and is just such a richer, richer song. Agreed. Um, And I pulled a quote from, um, David Buckley, who wrote a, a bio on, on uh, Roxy Music, book called The Thrill of It All, The Story of Brian Ferry and Roxy Music. And the quote he has in regard to the same old scene, because he absolutely loves the song, said that by 1981, the charts would be full of songs with a similarly musical trajectory, rumbling disco bass, clipped riffy guitar, and smooth vocals over the top. And it's so true. Yeah. Often imitated, never duplicated.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's the best song
1: on the, on the album. Um, Without a doubt.
0: Now, let's get into personal memories yes. that you have for this album. I'm sure there's got to be a whole bunch for you.
1: Too many to mention. But um, it's funny because uh, piggybacking on what we were just talking about a moment ago, um, I saw Roxy Music three times in concert. It was just amazing, because I never thought it would happen. And twice was in the summer of 2001, the reunion tour. Uh, and it was July of 2001. It was a beautiful night in Boston. Uh, the, you know, the, uh, the concert venue that they have right along the Charles River there. I mean, you lived in Boston, so I'm sure you were there once or twice in your time. Yep. Um, anyway, they played Oh Yeah! and uh it was one of the real highlights for me because in the set list it came after the old old roxy music song in every dream home of Hardy, which you know is very kind of dark dirty gritty song uh and creepy song and then all of a sudden they break into oh yeah and it was like clouds breaking on a and then the sun coming in on, on a beautiful afternoon all of a sudden if you know what i mean in wow. in the the band genuinely seemed to have fun playing the song, and they were smiling, and the audience was, was so responsive, and they, it's, it's one of those songs that actually sounded better live, because they spent as perkier, and I don't know, it, it, it's, it sounded, too, this was 2001, it sounded like it had just been released a month ago, like it was, it was very contemporary sounding, it was just, for me, it was such a beautiful, beautiful memory, something I'll never
0: forget. Wow. Wow. That's me. How about you? Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any particular personal memories about this, but one of the things that I think is interesting that I wanted to bring up is on the tour for this album, I didn't realize this, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, while they were touring for Flesh and Blood, John Lennon died or was assassinated. And yes, that correct. is when they first introduced their cover of jealous guy which we referenced earlier um and they
1: they played that immediately after his death at one of their concerts you can watch that exact concert online it's the dortmund concert from december of 1980. yes and there i would encourage anybody who hasn't heard it it, you know their version
0: of jealous guy is so good i think it's you know it's different enough from the original It, it adds it Roxie's it up um, personally for me, I, I like it better. I think it's, I think. Oh, it's
1: much better than Lennon's version. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And um, you know, I and mean, let's it's, not forget it's, one of the reasons why it's much better than Lennon's version. I think is because Lennon's version is about Yoko Ono. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> right.
1: The Roxy version can be about any number of women. These guys were involved with. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. Exactly, but it's so great. Uh, maybe I'll put that up on the Twitter, uh, the Twitter page as well. Um, now, John, do you think this album, this came out in 1980, May of 1980, does this capture the zeitgeist of the time?
1: I mean, in terms of 80s new wave zeitgeist, if such a thing existed, uh, then yes. But otherwise, no. I mean, there's nothing in that that really defines 1980 um at least not in my opinion what about you
0: yeah i'd agree i think roxy in general is you know this band that's kind of ahead of its time in so many ways that i I don't know that any of their stuff is really you know it's not really meant to capture the time i think they're kind of pioneers in a lot of ways so you know like you said Yeah. yeah it captures that 80s new wave um in a way but they have such a uniqueness to them i think that it's just kind of their own timeless thing um
1: yeah agreed um my last question for you is this a perfect album no i don't think so as much as i love it and i do i do really really love this album listen to it quite often i don't think it's perfect i think the album's a little bit uneven uh side to it i've said a few times i mean you've got that horrific cover of eight miles high and then you have a freaking reggae song for crying out loud. And as much as I think it's a good, good song, I don't think reggae song really fits on the album. Um, so that aside, the, the songs on this album are outstanding, but I don't know as much as I want to. I don't know that I feel comfortable saying this is a perfect. Album. What say you?
0: Yeah I, yeah, I definitely don't think, definitely it's, don't think so. it's
1: um You know, I think we,
0: we've talked about 8 Miles High. Um, I think that alone makes it imperfect. Um, you know, and, and it is uneven, I think. I don't like it, their version of In the Midnight Hour as much as, as you do, I think. I, and I think more to the point, I would have started this album with Flesh and Blood. I think that Ooh, would be interesting. interesting you know, that just kick right into that great guitar riff. Um, you know, I think in the midnight hours fine, but eh, take it or leave it. Um but yeah, so I, I it's not perfect, but it's it's a great album. It's a great album and the good stuff honestly, is really good. Um, you know, the handful of of standout tracks are just fantastic.
1: So nonetheless, great album. And- And a great summer album, as you said. And, uh, you know, it's a time of year uh, where you want to savor every last moment of summer. And um, my advice to our our listening audience is listen to flesh and blood throughout the remainder of summer, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Well, that's it, John. We've made it through the first season. Uh, Wow. It's been a a pleasure on my end. Uh, We're going to be back. We're going to take about a month off maybe a little less and uh, we'll be back. In take.
1: Now, uh, can I ask what you're going to do during the off season? Are you going to like pursue a solo project, like something Mike and the mechanic style or,
0: <laughs> well, maybe we should mention at this point, you um, do have a little side project going on. Uh, no. If anybody is really craving more episodes over the next month, um, we have a little side side project called sound bites. Uh, you can find it on, um, We're on Spotify. On Spotify. Uh, They're little one-off, you know, five to ten One-off, you know, five to ten On, It could be a particular album. It could be a particular singer. It could even just be an individual song, um, you know, that we didn't think quite merited an entire episode. Um, right. You know, we, we came up with this idea, and man, John has really run with it. I think everything up there on that right now is, is from John, and it's... it's for
1: amazing. better or for worse, yeah.
0: No, it's it's some great stuff. He talks about the raspberries. He talks about uh, Ennio Morricone. Um, Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac. Yeah, it's some really good stuff. So you can find that on Spotify again. It's called Soundbites. Um, we'll try to keep you updated with that on uh, Twitter at Podcast Closely.
1: But uh, you, you uh, still didn't answer the question. What are you going yeah, to do I, during so, the offseason?
0: You, know, you know, there's so many options right now during the pandemic that uh, I'll probably do exactly what I've been doing, which is not a whole lot. Maybe make it out to All the right. coast. You know, I'm about an hour from the Oregon coast here, which is gorgeous. So maybe I'll, I'll head out there for a little bit. Sounds like amazing. You. you got any big plans?
1: You know, I, I don't know. I, I too will make it to the coast. I mean, I'm about 10 minutes from the coastline here, but I'll probably get back up to Cape Cod and not have to worry about uh, recording uh, an episode on Sunday nights as much as I love it um i honestly am not ashamed to say i am going to start doing prep work for season two i emailed you the uh the comprehensive schedule of season two which kicks off as you said in about a month and we have our work cut out for us there's going to be some some terrific albums that we're going to do a deep dive on i don't want to give anything away right now but um yeah, there's there's a lot of work uh, to to brush up on some of these albums. Some of them I haven't really listened to in a while, and some of them, there are one or two on there that were your recommendations that we do, and I, I agreed wholeheartedly. But I need to really get to know those albums a little bit better. Is that the Debbie Gibson one? That is the the Debbie Gibson one. Yes, very ex, very excited about that one, and. Um, Also, I think it was the soundtrack to uh, Can't Hardly Wait. So I think you really uh, really had a couple really nice ones there. I'm really quite excited for this. (laughs)
0: Well, John, uh, the first season's been a pleasure. This has been so much fun, um, you know, and I, I can't wait to get going on season two.
1: Likewise. And in the interim, folks, don't let the summer pass you by without listening to Flesh and Blood loud in your car with the windows down it'll bring a tear to your eye especially at sunset
0: definitely all right john you take care happy summer happy summer